This is WMPG 90.9 Southern Maine Community Radio from USM. In the Pocket, a talk show that showcases Mainers who are people of color. Each episode represents a member of the Maine community from art, culture, and business, the earth, wind, and fire of life. Embracing and exploring the Black diaspora and descendants of American slavery through conversation is the foundational concept of In the Pocket. The overall mission of In the Pocket is to create conversational space for all people of color that is documented and celebrated through sharing of life experiences. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In the Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In the Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to In the Pocket. I'm your host, Flo Edwards, and today our special guest is Graphic Melee. He's an amazing hip hop producer and artist when it comes to vocally dropping lyrics. Really good at that. There's a lot of shows in Portland, and I can't wait to get to know him a little better. So, listeners, please. We've got Graphic Melee, and please introduce yourself. So I'm Graphic Melee. I'm a MC, producer, DJ, and audio engineer. Also, uh, run a couple different shows in Portland, Maine. I love how it says that you're you're based out of New England. Um, do you do shows elsewhere? Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, used to live in Boston before I moved to Portland, but uh, I usually do shows, uh, some in New Hampshire, Vermont, all over Maine, and uh, down to Massachusetts as well. How did you find places in Vermont? Like, what did that, why was that a chosen place for you? There's uh, kind of like a small network of uh, different underground hip-hop shows doing similar things to uh, what we do with Monday of the Minds here. And uh, a lot of touring acts will kind of just hit up each one. So we just start to learn who's doing what in the different areas over time. So we'll do shows with them. They'll do shows with us. We'll send artists their way. But yeah, that's how I came into contact with uh, a lot of the people in Vermont that I know. Right on. And yeah. your shows on Monday, they're every, what, second and fourth Monday at yes, Flash? And have you, I think it's been going on, correct me if I'm wrong, eight years? Um, let's see. Um, last December was our sixth anniversary, so coming up on uh, seven at the end of this year. Okay. Um, and you've been with them from the start? Were you one of the founders of this? Uh, I wasn't one of the founders, but uh, it started about, I think, six months before I moved to Portland, Maine. And I started going to it that summer when they had only been doing it for about uh, six or seven months. And yeah, just been going there ever since and eventually went from just someone in the audience to DJ, more of the people running it. So. Nice. Well, can I hear a little bit about that transition from being an audience member to oh, yeah. I'm the DJ and I now run this to you? So um, I found out about Monday of the Minds um, from this event I regularly did in Boston because they came down, uh, some of those artists to perform. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. There's like hip hop event going on in Portland, Maine. So then when we moved up here, I already knew when it was, when it was going on. So I started coming and uh, doing the open mic. And after the first night when I did the open mic and the freestyle cyphers, like everyone really wanted me to come back. And uh, I just became really involved doing shows with them. Then they found out I DJ too. 
So then I started DJing and yeah, it just went from there. Now, I know you've been producing music, what, 15, 20 years now? Yeah, probably about, uh, about 20 years now, yeah. So how is it possible that you go to a hip hop show and they don't know that you're a DJ? They just think of you first as a vocalist. Oh, that was, uh, since there wasn't really outlet on the open mic for anyone to find out. Um, yeah, they'd only seen me rap and knew that I made my own beats, but, uh, they didn't know I DJ too, so, yeah. Nice, layers. Um, so with all this experience, can you share, like, your first early years about how you got into making beats? Oh, yeah. So, um, I've always wanted to do music and a musician in some capacity most of my life but uh when i was a teenager i got a lot more into electronic music and hip-hop and wanted to try and find ways to make my own music because i was uh playing bass then i played in a school orchestra and then picked up electric bass and started playing with bands but what uh make my own music and it just started from there um uh, me and one of my friends from one of my high school bands would like pool our money together from uh, the job we had and get like drum machines and equipment like that when we got off of work and we just sit in his basement all day just working on stuff any musical inspirations oh yeah um for production for me uh i think jay dilla dj premier and mad lib are probably my biggest ones thanks um, I was thinking that if you were making beats at that time, you were in Virginia? Is that where you grew up? Yeah, yeah I was in Virginia then. So I thought you might have said, like, I was really into uh, Pharrell or <laughs> Nerd, but... Oh, yeah. I really like them, but um, their sound has never really been a sound that like I, I really pursued with uh, what I'm making. But they, they've always been producers, like, I love and respect what they do, but not necessarily the same type of sound I'd like to have. Tell me about the sound that you'd like to have. Um, so with uh, Jay Dill and DJ Premier being two of my big influences, I really love just the sound that you can get from sampling vinyl records. So it almost adds this grittiness to it because you're not just getting the sound of the music, you're getting any like inaccuracies in the record, anything that's happened to it over time, the little pops and hisses. Sometimes they even come up rhythmically in the beats I make, so. Nice, so like a little bit of texture, patina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so almost like the record tells its own story to an extent of what it's been through since it was pressed. I like that. Um, do you find a way to kind of replicate that when you're using like drum beats or anything? Oh yeah, yeah. Because um, I'll uh, since I play bass, uh, end up sampling myself playing bass lines a lot of times. So I'll approach that the same way I would uh, working with record samples. So I'll just take recordings of me playing bass and then chop them up and edit them. I give them that same sound that a vinyl record would have. Right on. Well, how long have you been playing bass? Been playing bass uh, about 26 years now. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I started playing upright bass when I was nine and started playing electric bass when I was uh, about 14. Do you still play the upright bass? Yeah, I don't play that one as much as electric, but I still have it sitting up in my studio and try and practice at least hmm. once a week. So. Does it ever make it into the samples? 
Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've definitely used that, yeah. Nice. Do you play any other instruments? Uh, yeah, I play uh, bass, guitar, drums, and keyboard. Nice. And I assume you use all of these for samples of yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing. I like to do a mix of uh, not just the vinyl record samples, but myself playing along and just kind of blend them together. That's great. Um, so every four years you release, I don't want to call it a mixtape, but you release a collection of your beats. Why did you choose every four years? Um, it started, I released the first one and had a very specific structure to it. And it had been about three or four years since I had released that one. I started thinking about, I wanted to do that again because I'd accumulated a lot of records I wasn't, I hadn't gone through or hadn't used for anything. So I decided after the second one, I'd make it a every four year thing. Because the first one was uh, 30 beats that I recorded and uh, wrote and recorded in a one month period. So I kept that as uh, one of the things for it. And then decided to do it uh, every four years. So four is not like a magical number for you. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it ended up being uh, the time when I felt like making another one, so I decided to just keep that constant. Nice. Um, are you, do you ever get really attached to your any particular beat that you find yourself resampling or reusing frequently? Um, I do have that happen sometimes with uh, drum rhythms. I'll uh, repurpose uh, drum rhythms I come up that I really like. And uh, occasionally good, uh, just long note bass samples, because I can really use those to change that one note into its own melody line. So I think those are two things I'll end up reusing a lot, or like slightly changing and reusing. Do you feel like when you do that, it kind of creates a style of yours? Yeah, yeah, because um, the, on the Clever Thief 3 specifically, there's a really similar bass tone to a lot of tracks, even though they're all different bass lines melodically. And uh, that one's because I'm using about four different uh, bass samples to create all the bass lines on that one. So, yeah, it can definitely give it its own sound. Wow. Kind of like infinite music from a few notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, so you play basically a band. You got the keyboard, guitar, bass. I might be missing something. Drums. Drums, right? Um, your DJ, your vocalist. Uh, do you? Is it okay if I say vocalist, or should I say rapper? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> which one did you start doing first? Was it the bass? Uh, I started singing when I was really young. Um, I think I was singing in a choir when I was three. Because uh, my mom was an organist and a pianist, and my grandfather sang and played bass, and my dad played drums. So I started singing from a really young age. Oh, that's and nice. And then uh, started playing violin when I was eight, and then switched to bass when I was nine. You know, I feel like the first time I really heard violins and anything R&B or hip hop adjacent was, I think, uh, Janet Jackson on her If album. Um, have you heard that sooner? Um, I don't know if, I, if I've heard that one. I'd have to, have to give that one a listen. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I feel like violins are often not used in hip hop, and I feel like they could be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there was a brief kind of push in like the early 2000s with a lot, but yeah, didn't really stick. Yeah. Who who do you remember was pushing it at the time? I remember a lot of um, like more like mainstream hip hop. I'm trying to think. I know uh, there's definitely a few Cisco songs that had violin. That's the main thing. And uh, a lot of uh, sampling was being done of uh, classical violin tracks then, because I know um, there are a couple of Wu-Tang solo albums that had violin samples, a good amount of them. But those are two of the ones that stand out, though, that I can think of. Um, while you were thinking or telling us your thoughts, I, I thought Hard Knock Knife, I think, has some violin in it, too. Just because it's Broadway sample, I just... Yeah. That's an interesting one for samples. Jay-Z purchased the rights to that song, I believe, indefinitely, so that any other, any other artist that wants to use that sample can use it royalty-free. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, giving back to the community. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, do you... I feel like you're a similar track of being a businessman, being an entrepreneur, speaking of Jay-Z. Do you see that? And actually, I have them. That's a portrait of Jay Z oh, yeah. up there. <laughs> so definitely inspiration for me. Um, is he an inspiration for you? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely an inspiration for me. And just the combination of artistry and his business acumen have always been something I try and like look to. I feel like him and uh, Killer Mike from Atlanta are two of my big influences for combining arts and business. Yeah, I think Killer Mike, they're doing a bank? A black, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's been doing a black bank, uh, bank black uh, program for uh, about five years now, almost. Nice. Um, I feel like you are full of um, hip-hop history. Uh, I don't know what today might have any significance. Is there something today? Uh, yeah, um, so there's uh, Hip Hop, uh, he's a producer and an MC out of Detroit that replaced Jay Dilla in Slum Village, but uh, his name's Black Milk. Uh, today is his birthday, and uh, NWA released their album uh, 100 Miles and Running today. I think that was uh, 91, but that was the first NWA album after uh, Ice Cube left. I think it was still considered a good album. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, well, thank you for that. Those are two great facts. Um, I feel like I didn't remember Jay Dilla being in Slum Village. I'm actually not a deep hip hop fan. I kind of like more dance music or soul. Um, but I also thought he was in a group that was older than Slum Village. Am I wrong about that? Or. Um trying to think. Slum Village was his first group. He was a producer and an MC for that one. And uh, I'm trying to think. I know he did some production work, but that was his first main group. Um, he definitely did a good amount of production work with the tri Tripod Quest and um, the Far Side. Okay. Alright, that's probably what I was thinking. I didn't... Not technically a member of the group, but working with the group. So thank you for clarifying. 
Um, so I feel like there is quite a bit of a relation or I see the inspiration when I think about the Jay Dilla beats that I'm familiar with and songs that you do. Um, would you feel that there's another artist besides Jay Dilla where you could see yourself compared to, or is that kind of a silly question? Um, no, I don't think that's a silly question. Um, I feel like the other one for me is uh, DJ Premier. I feel like elements from the way they make music have a, had a pretty big effect on the way that I do as well. Is DJ Premier, did he work with Sway from like? Um, he might have. His main group was uh, Gangstar and um, I think, but he did production and still is doing production for a lot of people because he was uh, Bahamadia's main producer, J. Ru the Damager, um, the duo uh, Group Home. But he also has done stuff for Danny Dacton, Christina Aguilera. He's, yeah. He's Jay-Z, uh, Notorious B.I.G. Pretty much everyone has had something produced by him at this point. Wow. He's been around a very long time. That's yeah, crazy. yeah. Um, it sounds like a lot of those beats would be beyond just hip-hop if he's worked with oh, yeah. those yeah. artists. Yeah. So, um, do you do other music that is outside of the hip hop realm? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because um, mainly while I was playing bass, I was doing a lot of uh, jazz or funk and soul. So uh, I always have played a lot and done a lot with that. Um, and for production, I've done some R and B production, done some uh, electronic music production, and uh, some acoustic work. People do. But, uh, and that's more recently, but uh, even in the past, I've done production for bluegrass bands and metal bands, so pretty much everything. And yeah, that, that covers the gamut right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you feel like you have a preference of not working with a particular genre? Not really, because um, I've always listened to a variety of music, so... I always kind of look at something a little bit outside of what I'm normally doing. It's just like a fun challenge to take on. Right on. Did you enjoy working with the EDM side? Uh, yeah, that was one thing that when I was really getting into my own music, I was doing a lot of drum and bass and a lot of hip hop. So before I just went more towards hip hop, what I was doing production wise, used to do a lot of drum and bass. So. Yeah. I feel like you have, every now and then, I kind of felt like I heard a little bit of Garage music. Have you heard of that at all? Um, don't think I have. Oh, it's like, so, like, you know, diaspora of Black people were kind of everywhere. <clears throat> so the Black people doing kind of like hip-hop, even R&B in Europe in like the late 2000s, or early 2000s, late 1990s, they were calling their R&B hip hop blend garage, and it had a little more drum and bass elements to it. So, yeah. yeah. I didn't know if you had gotten down with that at all. Um, no. There was an artist called Craig David who kind of crossed over for a minute. That's, okay. uh, I guess you, I don't know if you ever made it popular, but I did hear a couple of his tracks and saw a video on MTV in like 99 or 2000. 
Yeah, I definitely definitely know the name. Yeah, I didn't hadn't heard of the, that genre though. Yeah, but, uh, spelled like garbage, but they call it garage. Okay. <laughs> yeah. so, um, great. So we talked about instruments. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about is that you through um, Manic Mondays do a cleanup in parks along the city. Can you tell us a little but, more uh, about that? Monday of the Mines. Monday of the Mines, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, one of the things we like to do just as like a way to just clean up areas, just bring everybody together and do something fun outside. We'd uh, normally have three or four cleanup days a year, but uh, we decided to bring that back. I think this one uh, that we just had on the 11th was our first one since the pandemic. But yeah, just a way to just kind of do a bit more of the music, give some back to the community, just bring people together. We'll go out and clean up different parks. And uh, this one was on uh, August 11th, which is the unofficial birthday of hip hop, celebrating when uh, Cool Herc threw a party at uh, his building in Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx. So uh, I was out there spinning uh, hip hop that day while we were uh, doing the cleanup day. They had a bunch of kids come out from the boys and girls program in the neighborhood, just playing games, hanging out. Sounds like a blast. Yeah. Uh, were there a lot of adults there too, or? Um, it ended up being mostly kids. There were like a couple of the um, adults that were uh, kind of like supervising them, but uh, ended up being about like 50, 50 kids came out. Is that? And, no, go on. And most of, oh, sorry. <laughs> go on. But yeah, uh, most of them had never really seen turntables or anything like that up close, so they were all just really curious, and by the second half, it ended up pretty much being me showing them how to DJ and letting them mess around with the records, so it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. Um, I love that you still DJ with records. That is definitely oh, yeah. not as common. Um, for those cleanup days, is it usually more children than adults? Uh, no, this was the first one was like this because uh, we partnered with the Boys and Girls Club for this one. But uh, usually it's um, more similar to uh, a combination of our shows at Flask and the park shows that we do at Congress Square. So it was uh, mostly adults and yeah, it's usually mostly adults and some teenagers at the uh, cleanup days we do. But since this one was partnered with the Boys and Girls Club, we had a lot more kids come out. Great. Do you see yourselves partnering with them again? I think so, because um, my other partner that runs Monday in the Mines, uh, Stay on Mars, actually works with them, so we think we'll be doing more stuff with them in the future. And um, Meeting of the Mines, how long has the Congress Square Park edition been happening? I think this is our fifth year, fifth year of doing that, yeah. Okay, so not too much far after it actually started. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, is that usually just like a summer series? Yeah, we'll do that from uh, usually June to uh, September. Uh, this year, it's every fourth Monday, aside from a few that we've had to reschedule. But um, yeah, it's uh, just a summer event right now. Although we're thinking about, since they've uh, expanded the amount of time they're doing events in Congress Square, we might do it a little bit longer next year. So. Great. Um, yeah. How hard is it to set up for an outdoor event versus an indoor event? Not too bad. Um, indoor events, there's usually already the speaker equipment set up there, but uh, outdoor events, um, 
that's the only extra addition, so I just gotta get the speaker set up and then set up everything else, just like normal. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Is, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to talk about? Um, uh, one thing, just for uh, the hip-hop history facts, I do run a website called uh, DetainHipHopHistory.com, so that's one place you can uh, keep up with all the, all the different facts. So, just curious, when did you decide to become a historian of, of hip-hop? I'd always just loved hip-hop, and uh, I started that website eight years ago. Because I remember I just wanted to document all these things someplace because there's so much information. So I just started doing that then. That was about uh, eight years ago. But I got really into just learning all different facts and things about related maybe 20 years ago. Probably was in um, yeah, high school. Right on. So do you find yourself like, oh, I have this high school notebook with stuff in it. Now I've transferred it to the website, basically. I didn't. I don't think I had a notebook. Um, well, I started actually taking notes on it. I was uh, typing it more. So I've got all these old, like, typed up memos on my computer nice. back then. But yeah. I think I kind of dated myself. I feel like people are not doing like, notebooks as much. <laughs> Uh, I still right. use notebooks for some things. I, I think with that, my original idea was uh, thinking about either putting out a book or something similar. Yeah. So just to have it all typed, I started doing it that way instead. But yeah, just for my general notes, though, I just still keep a notebook. <laughs> Glad to hear that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know that you're going to be DJing at 4th Friday, which will be August 26th. Um, but how else can listeners get in touch with you? Like, what's the plug? So uh, you can find pretty much everything about me at uh, graphicmelee.com. Just uh, Graphic Melee on all social media services. And then every second and fourth Monday, I'm at Flask Lounge for Monday of the Minds DJing. Every first Wednesday of the month, I'm at Sun Tiki uh, hosting the Stereo Dreams producer showcase that I started. And uh, during the summer, every fourth Monday, we're at Congress Square Park doing shows out there. Nice. Um, I feel like there aren't a lot of producer showcases around, so it's awesome that you have created a space for that. Yeah, that was one of the big reasons I wanted to, because I knew so many people that were producers but weren't vocalists, so there were a lot of open mics they couldn't really do much at. I wanted to just create a space where that was more possible. So. Yeah, and I went to one. Uh, I'll be going to others, but I was really heard some really good music. Everybody's so creative and yeah, um, and good stuff to dance to, which is nice. Oh yeah, yeah. And just so uh, people know how to find you correctly, in case they don't know how to spell or whatnot, um, graphic Malie, and that is G R A P H I C M E L. E E. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And I only got that right because I'm looking at you right now and you yeah. got your name <laughs> in the background. So I was like, oh, cheat sheet. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah. I learned a lot about hip hop. I learned a lot about you. Um, thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This episode of ITP was scored by Graphic Malie from The Clever Thief 3.
If you like what you've heard and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. Creative Portland supports the creative economy through the arts by providing essential resources, by fostering partnerships, and by promoting Portland's artistic talents and cultural assets. As an arts agency, Creative Portland supports economic development efforts by strengthening and stimulating Portland's workforce, creative industries, and enterprises. For more information, it can be found at creativeportland.com. Hey Huskies, did you know that USM has a food pantry on campus? The Campus Food Pantry is a free resource open to current USM students, faculty, and staff. There is no proof of financial need required, just your USM ID. The Campus Food Pantry offers food, personal, and household items, and offers walk-ins. You can pre-order online at usm.main.edu. Search for Food Pantry or visit the USM Campus Food Pantry at 102 Bedford Street in Portland or in the UCU Den in the Brooks Student Center in Gorham. Bring your current USM ID. Visit usm.main.edu and search for Campus Food Pantry for more information on how to access or support the USM Food Pantry.